Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. Well, good day to you. We're going back into the book of Revelation. And with such a magnificent book, when we look at this, we see such extremes. I mean, we see the joy of heaven. We see the promise to the believer, the wonder of Yahweh. But we also see the judgment of Jesus. We see the wrath of God. And this goes back and forth. And so when we look at these things, my friend, you know, as we're talking about these verse by verse through Revelation, Let's stick by the stuff. Let's study it. You know, just as I remember in, in, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 11, you know, Paul was teaching and it was noted that the Berean church, they would study the scriptures to see whether the things that were being taught were so. And when we get into the scripture and it, with such impact and import, like in Revelation, uh, all scripture you know, is, is profitable and is God-breathed. But when we look at something so important here, where some people will say, well, let's just allegorize all of this, or let's just forget it, and let's just let it go. And then some people say, well, you know, they've even told me, oh, I'd never read Revelation. It's too scary. Well, I want to take you to a a story. Back when I was in uh, radio broadcasting, and we had gone to a small town. We were working on a project, and I was actually helping a group uh, organize some sports teams within a local area. So they went to a small radio station within this town. Now, I'm not going to name the state, but I will tell you it was a very, very rural state. And uh, you can use your imagination, but uh, this is absolutely true. Before the Lord, I'm not embellishing this at all. But we went to this little tiny town, and it had a one-industry town, and they had, but they had a wonderful uh, sports complex in the county. And so I was with a group, and they were trying to see if they could purchase some advertising time on a number of the little stations. And they went to this little town here. I don't think that the town itself had more than a thousand people in it, maybe not even that. And we went to the head of a little tiny radio station, I think that just barely reached the, the edge of the town. And when we went there, uh, the gentleman was from this home state, the gentleman that I was with, he was from this home state. And he said, I know these people here. So he said, so do not be surprised with whatever you see when we go to the radio station. And I said, okay. So when we went in there, we went to the man's house. It was on a decrepit row, a neighborhood, and all of the houses were in states of disrepair, covered with ivy. You could see shingles coming off of the roofs around there. And the friend with me, let's call the man Jim that I was with, it's not his real name, who was from this area, He said, this gentleman is in his retirement years and started this little radio station. And the town is in such disrepair that he had enough money saved up in his pension to buy the three houses in either direction, and he just lets them go. And the the way the ordinance is in the town, nobody cares. And these houses are just rotting. He doesn't want anybody living near him. And so that was my introduction to this man. We go into his house, and there are ducks everywhere. There's ducks walking all through the house. The front door's open. This is the radio station. The gentleman's station pretty much is in his kitchen. He's a very corpulent gentleman, uh, the owner of the station. He's the only employee. And when Jim talks with him and says, well, we'd like to buy radio advertising. Now, friends, I've worked 
in radio in many different areas, and sometimes uh, the, a commercial would be hundreds of dollars per commercial, maybe thousands. It just depends on in what market you're in. Jim goes over and says to the man of this, uh, the owner of this home in the kitchen radio station that broadcasts maybe a couple of miles in each direction. He says, we'd like to buy, I don't know, uh, maybe 60 uh, ads on your station. And and he gives them a price. He says, I'd like to buy them at, at like $10 a piece. And the fellow kind of comes out there, walks past these ducks, sits on the front porch. Uh, the tapes are rolling, and he sits there, and he gives us this long story. And when he finishes, and I don't even know where the story's going, he says, so I'll, I'll sell these commercials for a dollar a piece. And I didn't know what to say, and Jim was stunned because the man just talked himself down out of a profit. And he was more interested in telling us a story about a snake going across the road and hitting it with a shovel, and it just went everywhere. And I can't help, as I tell you this ridiculously odd story, that I will find people when we get into the, the study of Revelation, they will go everywhere with stories and near-death experiences and dreams and side reading from small little bookstores and everything, but going into the scripture and letting the scripture speak for the scripture. Just like this man who had ducks running through his house, who actually talked himself out of making any kind of a profit and everything. And I just shook my head as we left. And it was just the strangest thing. So do I find people that will come over and talk about the book of Revelation and go into wide detail and conspiracies and things which have nothing to do with the narrative. So I'm committed to bring to you as many cross-references as we talk about these things and give you as, as honest a study as I can. We're in Revelation chapter 9. Re- Revelation chapter 9, I am now reading in verse 11. And they had as king these locusts that came out like swarms, as if they were smoke. We talked about this. Demonic entities. Well, these ones, they followed. So it wouldn't be a mechanical, robotic locust, a helicopter. It would be an entity, which I truly believe are demonic, as you see, the hair like a woman, the face as a man, scorpion stinging, uh, a, a short life of five months, as we read in earlier podcasts. Uh, we had read this aloud in the narrative here. But it says, they had us a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. So when we're seeing this, these locusts, this is a strange thing. These locusts are not just like locusts that we see that would permeate a countryside and uh, eat vegetation. It's funny. You'll go to Proverbs, and it actually says in chapter 30, verse 27, the locusts have no king, but they advance in all ranks. Locusts will go in swarms. These would particularly follow, and they're following a leader, a knowledgeable leader, which takes us into a whole new entity here, a whole new thinking. The angel here, as we see this, the angel must be the one that we mentioned, that we had mentioned in verse uh, 1. When we looked in Revelation chapter 9, we opened up this. The fifth angel blew his trumpet. I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. And this one, this word for star can also be interpreted as angel. We use the cross-reference of 
Uh, Job 38, when it refers to the angels at the time of creation as stars as well. Now, when we look at the, uh, the word abaddon, this word in Hebrew means destruction. And you will see this in different places. Uh, we will talk about, you know, Job 26, going back to Job, chapter 26, verse 6. It uh, is talking about death and destruction. And it says, Sheol, which is another name for grave, is naked before God, and Abaddon has no covering. You'll also see in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20, it's talking about uh, the grave and destruction. Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and people's eyes are never satisfied. And it's talking about this in here. And so this is the name in Hebrew given to this leader. And then also Apollyon, which means destroyer. And whether this was taken from the Greek god Apollos, we're not really sure. It could be. Now, you could say this. When you go back through history, you will see that Domitian was the emperor who really was the decider of John being uh, put, at least laying down the law, in which caused John to be incarcerated on the Isle of Patmos in writing this letter. Domitian was the first, to my recollection, was the first emperor who said, I am not interested in dead emperor worship. In other words, they would have times when they would worship as soon as an emperor would go into the uh, the domain of death. Then he was elevated to a, uh, would you say, canonized to the the point of, well, even beyond sainthood, they were given uh, the uh, the position of being a god. So they would worship uh, dead emperors as gods. They've gone into the supernatural. Well, Domitian said, I will be worshipped now, for I am God, was, uh, was the word of Domitian on here. And so we see that John may be intimating this as we go into here too. They have a king. His name is destruction. His name is uh, destroyer uh, on here. Okay, so when we see this, this could be Satan. This could be an equivalent of an archangel, but in the demonic realm, one designated here. Now think about this. With all of this coming out, spilling into the world, torturing people, for five months, verse 12 says, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Now, I want you to think about this as I had taught in another uh, uh, class about the wonder of the millennial kingdom. There will be no nursing homes there. There won't be any need for hospitals. Uh, people will be in a state of, of wonderful health and the things that are there to show comfort. On here, think about this. You're going to be in the complete opposite here. If you are in rebellion to the Lord, these people will be in constant running. Houses won't keep you from the attack of the demonic realm. For five months, the people will be burying themselves in uh, deep within caves or vaulting themselves in safety away from these attacks not knowing, you know, trying to get themselves enough sustenance to live and yet not putting them in public because of the constant attack of these locusts. And that's not the worst. 
verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Now, when you go into the tabernacle, when you look into the scripture, you're going to see a reference to altars. And you're going to see this uh, in here. You're going to see the reference to the prayers at the golden altar, because the golden altar is the altar of incense. Now, there were a voice of the voice coming from four horns. And these each of these horns are at the top of the altar there. Horns represent, as we talked about, strength. A voice comes out, and there's a deep power. Uh, there's a powerful message here being said. Now, this could be, one writer says, that this could be possibly uh, the martyrs are speaking out, the voice of the martyrs uh, calling out, or possibly this could be the angel back in chapter 6 that had the censor the, uh, of the prayers of the saints. We don't know, but it is obvious here that in this passage, this is a response to the prayer of the saints here. Now, in verse 14, it tells us this uh, here. With this voice uh, that's before God, the voice says to the sixth angel who had a trumpet. We Remember, we're in the trumpet judgments. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. There's a lot of talk right now, as I'm talking in February of 2023, about the Euphrates River drying. So a lot of people talk about this particular passage here. So uh, this, let, let's talk about this and understand some things. Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now, I don't want you to be confused. These are not the four angels that were mentioned back in chapter 6 uh, there. Whenever we saw those in verses 2 through 8, we saw a number of different angels there. Now, these are not those. Uh, we, uh, these are not to be confused with the four angels that are in chapter 7 and verse 1, standing at the four points of the compass, the four corners of the earth, so to speak, uh, on there, north, east, south, and west. You know, uh, We obviously know that the earth is a globe, and they're at, at the four corners of the directions here. This is not to be confused with them. We see numerous angels with numerous responsibilities, and we talk about angelology in another one of my podcasts, and these are not to be confused. But we do have a voice uh, calling out and giving instruction there on this. When you look at the Euphrates River, this would be to the furthest east of the Roman Empire uh, on there. It had been said here that these angels have been prepared for this, not just for the month of judgment, not for the day, but also for the hour that, listen to how, how this says this, to be released in here. These ones had been bound, and these ones had been uh, prepared for this time in a place of destruction. So when we see this, we see these evil angels being sent out. Now, when we see that the locusts earlier 
in the first of these series of these three woes here concluding. We see the locusts were there to torment. These angels were going to kill, and they're going to kill in a scale that's unprecedented here. This was, you think about this now, one-fourth had already been killed by, in chapter 6 and verse 8, by death and Hades, uh, death and hell, when we looked at that. Remember that? The pale green horse, the name was death and Hades followed. They were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword and by famine and by plague and even by the wild animals of the earth. So this is in addition to it, a third more uh, of mankind too. They are only when God allows it, God's will will be done even though this is destructive God has warned, he has warned, he has warned. The angels are connected with the river Euphrates. Uh, This is, as I said, the easternmost border of the Roman Empire. This is uh, well known as one of the locations uh, within ancient Babylon. And as we see it, Israel's land, this was uh, the opening horizon, the frontier, as it were, of Israel's land, uh, we see that. And the time when it's mentioning the Roman Empire, then we want to see this, this empire that's going to be brought up is going to be talking about a dominant empire. And then we're going to see within a handful of chapters, the Antichrist being introduced. This is the setup for it too. This is... The Euphrates has a, has a background that is uh, uh, quite stunning in its history every time it's used. It's like when we use the term Babylon. Babylon is known as the evil empire. It was a literal empire. It's also used symbolic. Jezebel was actually a person, but then Jezebel was also used as uh, an, uh, a term for evil. Well, Euphrates is the same thing. One Bible scholar reminds us that the Euphrates uh, was the location of the very first war in uh, down here in Genesis chapter 14. The very first war was in the vicinity of the Euphrates. And then you go back to chapter 10 and you will see one of the first, well, the very first empire of rebellion, would you call it uh, the, an, an evil empire, was also in the area of the Euphrates as well. So it seems to be synonymous with evil and destruction and all sorts of uh, just uh, terror and chaos as well. When we look at this, we look at this passage here, we are taken aback by this army, the army, verse 16, of the horsemen that's being uh, introduced was 200 million. And John hears the number of them. And uh, thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates. And it gives a description which we will have. And I will start this in our next podcast. I want to thank you. This is Brad Zalko as we walk through a very difficult passage. And we're learning about these judgments and what exactly is going on. We can take this and we can learn. But always remembering, in the midst of this, God is warning, is warning, such as right now. We can read this and be warned and let others know of the impending destruction to come. Uh, The ministry that I'm with 
could uh, very much uh, be in uh, reaching places in the morning time. We have even had people, as I've taught online, that have been in Iceland. Uh, we have people uh, tuning in from the UK, from Scotland, from the Philippines, from South Africa. And so the word goes out as we teach these things by podcasting and by online actual uh, are reaching out in the online live classes as well. And if you can help us to do so in meeting our needs for new equipment, and as we're make, building a studio uh, here in our barn, we could surely use your help. The giving at the beginning of the year has been down after Christmas usual, and so uh, we are trying to do the best we can in the new horizons offered to us to reach more people we never thought would reach. If you can help us, please, uh, it would be greatly appreciated. Go to Zulon.org. You can see if you'd rather send by snail mail. There's the address there. Or if you'd like to send through electronic means, then under donate, it's on Zulon.org. I appreciate either way that you can do that. And thank you so much. This is Brad Zonkel here. We'll continue our talk in Revelation chapter 9. God bless you. Thanks for joining us this week on Questions About Heaven with Brad Zockel of the Zulon International Bible Institute. Be sure to visit our website, zulon.org, to learn more about our Bible ministry. That's xulon.org. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And keep an eye out for our upcoming ebook, Questions About Heaven. Thanks, God bless you, and have a great day.